Welcome to the Abbott Circle podcast. I'm Father Ambrose Christ, and I'm the novice master here at St. Michael's Abbey. We hope that you enjoy the following recording. To learn more about the Norbertines, visit theabbotcircle.com. God bless you. Hello there, friends. Welcome to our St. Michael's Abbey Zoom, Zoom webinar this morning or this afternoon or wherever you are. And I think that we should begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us here as we reflect on the beautiful truth of our holy Catholic faith, which is the presence of our angels with us, our guardian angels. Help us to penetrate these truths more deeply with the guidance of your spirit and with the accompaniment of our own dear angels, and especially with Our Lady, the Mother of God, and the Queen of the Angels. Let's pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light and to guard, to rule and to guide. Amen. Our Lady Queen of the Angels, pray for us. All you holy guardian angels of God, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, friends. My name is Father Ambrose. You're joining us here at St. Michael's Abbey. We're at our new monastery in Silverado Canyon. This is the second webinar from our new location, and we're really excited to be here. We just moved in a little over a month ago, and we hope that you've been following some of that online. It's been an exciting couple of months for us. It's also an exciting year for us and for our order. It's the 900th anniversary of the foundation of our Norbertine order, 1121, St. Norbert of Xanten gathered his first followers and they all received the habit and professed their first vows on Christmas Eve, 1121. So this is our Jubilee year. One of the great ways that we Norbertines try to share the truths of our holy Catholic faith with all of you, build up the people of God, encourage one another in faith, inspire one another, to holiness, holiness of life. So all of you out there far and wide, thank you for joining us. Now, let's dive in to this beautiful topic about the guardian angels. You might remember when you were a little child of seeing pictures like this. <laughs> I'm gonna show you this one. It's a little bit blurry there on your screen. These images of angels kind of sweet, usually protecting a little child. And we have a lot of holy cards in our tradition of that image, the winged angel hovering over a little child. And I have to say, of course, that's true. Our angels protect us like that. They're especially dear to a child's heart. But they're so much more than that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, about how powerful, present, useful to us, uh, dear to us, 
these angelic creatures are, and they're much, much more than just a sweet childhood story. The truth of their existence and the truth of their participation in your growth and holiness is very vivid and real, much more than any sweet image can encapsulate. A little over 100 years ago in 1916 in Fatima, Portugal, the guardian angel of the country of Portugal appeared to those three favored children, the visionaries of Portugal, a year before Our Lady appeared to them. And that angel showed up in their life so that that angel could prepare them to receive the visits of the mother of God one year later. That's interesting enough in itself. But what those children, those three children, uh, Jacinto Marto and uh, of course, um, the others you know, who were so blessed, Lucia, uh, they said that when that angel visited them on a few occasions between April and October in 1916, their lives changed. And their lives changed because they felt themselves inspired with new lofty ideals, with a new heroic courage, and with generosity in doing God's will. Those three things, lofty ideals, heroic courage, generosity in doing God's will. That was the fruit of the visit of that guardian angel. My hope, our hope, is that if we can cultivate our relationship with our guardian angel, with your guardian angel, with my guardian angel, we too will grow in lofty ideals, heroic courage, unbounded generosity in doing God's holy will. That's why our angels are with us. So in this time that we spend together over the next little while, I want to touch on just a few points of doctrine, uh, especially from St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor about the teaching of the church about the holy guardian angels. And along the way, I wanna share with you some inspiring stories, stories from the lives of the saints, stories from our own monasteries, uh, family life that I hope will inspire you as well. And then we're gonna conclude with some practical steps about uh, what you can do to cultivate a relationship with your own guardian angel. So first, some doctrine. A few questions from St. Thomas Aquinas. He wrote a lot about the angels. We call him the angelic doctor because there in the 13th century, uh, his philosophical theological teaching was one of the first and best places, not the first, but perhaps the best place of bringing together the church's teaching about the angels. So he asks a lot of questions and then answers them. That's how St. Thomas works. He asks, are we guarded by angels? And of course, St. Thomas is going to teach that we are. But why? That's very interesting. Why? You know, we inhabit the material order. 
We ourselves are made up of souls and also of bodies. We're material creatures uh, with a soul. The angels are pure spirits. They don't have bodies. They are not created in the material order. And in God's beautiful providence, as he created the universe and everything in it, the angels helped him to do that. They were the ministers through which God arranged, ordained, guided the material order, even in creation, in the act of creation, and still in the providential unfolding of God's plan here in this material order. An easy principle to remember, material things are guided by immaterial spiritual substances. That's what the angels are, immaterial spiritual substances. Now, they are creatures, God created them. And in fact, we know from Revelation that when God created all of the angels, a third of them fell. We call them demons. They fell because they did not want to accept God's plan for the incarnation, God's ultimate redemption of man through Jesus Christ, the new Adam, who himself became a man. So a third of the angels fell. That's hopeful for us. That means that two thirds of these creatures are on our side. <laughs> And they want to help us to get to heaven too. But it's precisely through the angelic order that God guides and directs the material order. And that's true for our own daily lives as well. So with regard to our human affairs, the angels are involved because everything material, God arranges, ordains, and guides through the ministry of these immaterial substances that we call angels. All of this is to get us to heaven because isn't that the point of it all? It's all to get us to heaven. Now, we don't always see what's good for us. And part of that is because of our material nature. Our intellect is not perfect. Our will is not perfect. We're fallen. So we need the help of these perfect creatures. Angels have perfect intelligence, much, much superior to our own. They see clearly what is the good, and they also choose perfectly how to achieve it. We're not so lucky. So the angels can assist us where we are weak, and that's why God uses them in helping us move toward our own salvation and our own sanctification. Now, what would this look like or what could this look like? An angel helping us even in the most mundane uh, moments of our life. Well, have you ever walked into a crowded room and you just know that there's somebody that you need to speak to and so you go and you find your way across that crowded room and you speak to that person. It's almost like an instinct. And you come to discover that, in fact, I did have to have that conversation. That person needed to hear from me or I needed to hear from them. 
but it's almost like an instinct. And in retrospect, you think, gosh, it was uncanny the way I knew that I needed to do that. Or has your phone ever rung? And even before you take it out of your pocket or look at the screen, you know who's on the other end of the line? Now, those things might just be mere coincidence. I think we usually just chalk that up to coincidence. But I think, and I think that the fathers of the church would have us understand that there are other intelligences behind those seemingly coincidental and obviously spirit-filled, grace-filled moments of insight. You see, it's far above our own nature to know I need to speak with that person in that crowded room or to know who's on the end of the line on that anonymous phone call. But that's, you see, that's just how the angels are at work. They can touch our intellect with their own. They can move us in our will to desire something that's good. They help us in this way. At the very most interior part of our human faculties, our reason and our will. Another question, when does our angel begin to take charge of us? When are we assigned our guardian angel? When uh, we published this, uh, the, that this webinar was going to happen today, a lot of people already began sending in questions. It's a question that I get almost all the time when I give this talk or a version of this talk. When does our angel begin to take charge of us? Is it at my birth or is it at my conception? When is it? Is it at my baptism? Uh, is it only when I ask? And uh, St. Thomas asked that question too. So there's a, a very beautiful, I think you'll find this very inspiring uh, from St. Thomas that we're not assigned our guardian angel at our conception, but rather at our birth. You see, when we're still waiting to see the light of day in our mother's womb, her guardian angel is governing us as well there in the womb. So infants in the womb are governed by the guardian angel of the mother. And then at the child's birth, then it is assigned by God, its own unique guardian angel. Now, this is true for every human child born of every race, of every creed or no creed, from the beginning of time until the last day. Every child born is given a guardian angel. Why? You see, we're all born in the state of original sin. We're all born in need of salvation. And the only way that we're going to be able to get there is with the help of these angelic spirits because the deck is stacked against us because of our fallen nature. So the angel's first task is to try with all its might to get that child to the font of baptism. And then after the child receives salvation in Jesus Christ through baptism, then the angel has a much easier task of mediating the good things that God wants to give it to overcome sin and to grow in virtue to become a saint. So you might think that all of the people who have never heard the gospel or the, all the people who are waiting 
to uh, receive the gift of baptism and grace in Jesus Christ, their angels are desperately trying to find some means whereby that, that little soul or even an older soul, somebody can hear the, the saving message of salvation uh, from the gospel. But it's remarkable that each of us gets his or her own angel. You see, in every other order of creation, every other creature, that's not how it works. Angels are so powerful that it would be enough for one angel to govern all of the human race. That's how it works for other creatures. There's one angel that is the guardian of the elephants, and there's one angel that's the guardian of the whales, and there's one angel that's the guardian of the dogs. And so um, each species has its own angel. But we're all individual instantiations of one species, the human race, and each of us gets his or her own. This is incredible. Uh, they're so powerful that uh, they don't need to do that, but God in his goodness gives each of us his own, his or her own. There uh, used to be, uh, uh, well, a little story from our old St. Michael's Abbey property, the old Abbey church. It was all kind of indoor, outdoor living there. Uh, the doors were usually wide open, the windows wide open, uh, just for temperature regulation more than anything else. And those of you who have visited our monasteries in the past, you know that uh, we, we try to cultivate some beautiful gardens and have a lot of beautiful flowers and trees and so forth that attracts a lot of birds. So the birds would find their way into the open doors of the Abbey Church. Uh, and some of the time that would be just fine. There was one little different kinds of birds that would be able to find their way out. Um, these very intelligent brewers, blackbirds would fly in, find their way out, no problem. Well, we have beautiful hummingbirds here in Southern California. And there's one particular kind of hummingbird, the Costas hummingbird. If one of those got into the Abbey Church, it would never find its way out. They're profoundly stupid little birds, beautiful, spunky, colorful, exciting, fun to watch, and really, really dumb inside a building. So uh, my confers and I were joking, uh, well, joking when you know they would fly, fly in and couldn't fly out and we'd find them dead or have to catch it and, and, and take it out. We thought, well, uh, studying the philosophy and theology of, of a great teachers like St. Thomas Aquinas and learning that there's a guardian angel for the hummingbirds, we thought, well, why don't we pray to the Costa hummingbird guardian angel and ask to uh, take that bird out of the church when one would fly in? Do you know what? It works. <laughs> it really works that we can appeal even to the angels of God's other creatures. So uh, that's kind of a fun little anecdote but it also is uh, inspiring to know that if just that one angel for all of uh, time here below is going to govern those, those hummingbirds and you get your own, how fortunate are we, right? To have such a powerful uh, aid in our sanctification. A little quotation from St. Thomas Aquinas about that. Man, while in this state of life, is, as it were, on a road by which he should journey toward heaven. On this road, man is threatened by many dangers, both from within 
and from without. Therefore, as guardians are appointed for men who have to pass by an unsafe road, so an angel guardian is assigned to each man as long as he is a wayfarer. When, however, he arrives at the end of life, he no longer has a guardian angel, but in the kingdom, he will have an angel to reign with him. In hell, a demon to punish him. That's the end of the quotation from St. Thomas. That's in the Summa, the 113th question. Of course, we're not going to talk too much about the demon that punishes us in hell, but we can think very happily about that angel that takes us to our judgment and then please God upon our entry into heaven, one that will rejoice with us in heaven, along with the whole choir of angels. Everything okay so far? A few more questions. Uh, what does our angel do for us? There are a lot of things we can enumerate that the angel does for us. When our guardian angel takes charge of the soul, he devotes all his glorious intelligence, all his power, all his vigilance to protect, defend, and help in every way that person whom God has given into his care. Now, that angel is at work night and day. Angels don't have bodies, so they don't need to sleep. They are vigilant even when we are not. They never rest. And furthermore, as we learn from uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 18th chapter of St. Matthew, they are ever beholding the face of God. The angels are already in glory after that first moment of their creation, when they chose for or against God, they entered into heaven. The angels always look upon the face of God. And simultaneously, your guardian angel is ever present to you. They can do that because they're not bound by matter. So even while you sleep, even while you're distracted, even if you haven't thought about your angel in 35 years, he has never stopped thinking about you, praying for you, defending you, helping you to get to heaven. That's tremendously consoling. St. Padre Pio, I don't know how much you know about St. Padre Pio, a prodigious, prodigious saint uh, from the middle of the last century, famous, famous in Italy, one of the most beloved saints in, in Italy still to this day. And he was a Capuchin Franciscan way down in the heel of the boot of Italy. And he had many, many mystical gifts. He uh, could bilocate and he could levitate. And he, uh, of course, famously was marked with the wounds of our Lord, the stigmata. And he also wrote some beautiful things down about his uh, experiences uh, in the spiritual life, uh, published posthumously. His... Uh, Guardian angel would appear to him. Uh, angels are not material, but they can take on material appearances if God uh, permits them to. And Saint Padre Pio could sometimes see his angel and he would speak to him and he could hear him. So I want to read for you a quotation from Saint Padre Pio. He was writing to his own spiritual father, Father Augustino, 
there in their friary. And it seemed to him that his guardian angel had abandoned him. Because you see, Padre Pio would also be visited by demons who would beat him up in the middle of the night in his cell. And so when he was being beaten up by the demons one night, it seemed that his guardian angel had abandoned him. And so St. Padre Pio writes, I shall not relate to you, Padre Agostino, in what manner they go about beating me, those reprobates. Sometimes I feel that I am close to death. Saturday, I thought that they really wanted to put an end to me. I turned to my angel. And after making me wait for some while, he finally showed up flying around me and singing hymns to the divine majesty with his angelic voice. There followed one of those ordinary scenes. I think it's hilarious that for Padre Pio, this was an ordinary scene, but there you go. Back to Padre Pio. I shouted at him harshly for having made me wait so long since I had not failed to call him to my aid. To punish him, I did not want to look him in the face. I wanted to hold my distance. I wanted to run away and hide from him. But he, poor fellow, approached me, nearly crying. He caught hold of me so that raising my eyes, I might look into his face and see it wholly grieved. And behold, he said, I am always close to you, my beloved youth. My affection for you shall not extinguish even with your life. I know that your generous heart beats always for our mutual beloved. You would cross every mountain, every desert to find him, to see him again. Do not grow weary, for you must wait a bit more. For the present, he can give you nothing like the ray of a star, the perfume of a flower, the sigh of a harp, the caress of a wind. Yet, do not cease to ask him for it constantly, for his supreme pleasure is to have you with him. And then Padre Pio concludes, poor dear angel, he's too good. Who will succeed in making me, making me recognize the grave obligation I have of gratitude? Beautiful, beautiful scene from the life of Padre Pio there. So what else does our angel do for us? Well, uh, he's always laboring to make us better, holier, happier, whispering in our ear thoughts of inspiration, desire for holiness. As I said, he prays for us without ceasing. He defends us. Defends us from the attacks of the devil, defends us from temptation. Um, we are in, my friends, a spiritual battle, a war for our soul. That third of the fallen angels, the third of angels who fell, they want to drag us down to hell with them. 
That's what they are intent on because they hate God and they hate his salvation in Jesus Christ. The angels happily double the number of the demons are completely in opposition to their plan and totally desirous of our salvation. We find ourselves in the middle of this war and every day is a battle. You know it too. How often do we find ourselves backsliding? It's why we need Lent every year, isn't it? So that we can redouble our efforts to take another step down the path of holiness and virtue to try again to love our Lord Jesus Christ and his holy church, the things of God. Our angel is assisting us in this battle. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the very ancient Greek fathers, writes, after our nature had fallen in sin, we were not abandoned in our fall by God, but an angel, one of the beings who have an incorporeal nature, was set up to aid the life of each of us. The destroyer of our nature, in his turn, did just the same by sending us an evil, pernicious angel to the detriment of our human nature. It now depends upon man who finds himself between two angels, one, each one seeking to lead him in a different way to make the one triumph over the other. The good angel presents his spirit with the fruits of virtue, everything that those who do good see in hope. The other angel holds up before him the pleasures of the earth, Pleasure, pleasures which hold no hope for the future, but pleasures which can captivate the minds of the foolish when they are seen and enjoyed in the present. That's from Gregory of Nyssa's Life of Moses. So the battle is on, my friends, and it's interesting there that St. Gregory of Nyssa notices that really the way that that fallen angel is mostly tempting us is through the pleasures of the flesh, the pleasures of this world, those illusory pleasures that don't lead us to God. Now, the good things of this world can lead us to God if we lift our minds through them to higher things. But without God as their end, even the pleasures of this world can drag us down into our fallen nature. And of course, someone like St. Gregory of Nyssa wants us to understand how important that battle is. Uh, it's a little bit like the old Tom and Jerry cartoons where you know you would see a little tiny um, Tom as an angel on the one shoulder and a little tiny Tom as a devil on the other shoulder. Um, that's silly, of course, silly childhood cartoon. But spiritually speaking, that's absolutely real in each of our lives. And I think if we become people of prayer, and if we become people who are trying to be sensitive to the movements of spiritual realities, we notice where the nudges are coming from. Is it from that evil tempter? Or is it from that good angelic guide and assistant? Okay, so some other things that our angels do for us. 
course, the one that we talk about most in Catholic life is they protect us. They protect us from danger, physical harm, and so forth. Here in our monastery, we have many stories of the protection of guardian angels. There are many of us here, here friends. You know, there are almost 95 of us at St. Michael's Abbey. And I think something like that, 90, 95, there's a lot of us. And uh, we get ourselves into trouble <laughs> because we're busy priests, uh, you know, driving all around and busy in the apostolate. And uh, one of my confreres uh, many years ago was on the freeway a lot. And late at night, he was, uh, his priestly work had him back and forth between our sister's convent into Hatchapi, which is a three hour drive back and forth, sometimes in the same day. And uh, so he was often drowsy on the road, like so many of you are, I'm sure. He tells a story that the middle of the night, he was driving back to the abbey from the sister's convent and fell asleep on the road. Of course, he didn't realize he had fallen asleep, but he woke up at the bottom of an exit ramp that he wasn't intending to take that exit. The car was in park, the light was green, and he bolted awake. He doesn't know how long he had been asleep. Uh, obviously, someone drove the car down that exit ramp to protect him. That was in our interpretation, and I think the only one that really makes any sense, his guardian angel preventing him from crashing when he fell asleep at the wheel. That kind of thing happens a lot. There's a story, again, from the life of Padre Pio about this. One of his spiritual children had a similar experience and asked Padre Pio, well, he didn't. He showed up for spiritual direction with Padre Pio, who blurted out without the man telling him anything. When you fell asleep a couple of weeks ago on the freeway there, your guardian angel was the one who was driving the car. <laughs> so. Padre Pio saw that all happen. Uh, my same, that same confrere who woke up there at the bottom of the exit ramp, got into another wreck a little bit later. Uh, he fell asleep and he actually did crash the car. Um, that time the, the car went off an embankment and totaled, the car was absolutely totaled. He walked away without a scratch, without a broken bone, without even a headache. And uh, of course, his, his angel was protecting him in the wreck. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen to you. <laughs> but should su such things happen, your angel is there to protect you insofar as that's possible. But what about when they don't? Uh, that's a question I want to spend just a few minutes on. Um, you know, because people do... Uh, die in horrible, tragic accidents, and people do have terrible things happen to them. There's suffering here below. Our angels don't seem to protect us from all of it. And you might wonder why or where are they in our sufferings or in our trials? Another quotation to help us with an answer here from, again, St. Padre Pio. Once again, the devils had been beating him up. And so he writes, I raised a complaint to my dear guardian angel and he, after having given me quite a little sermon, added, give thanks to Jesus that he treats you as one chosen to follow him closely up the ascent 
to Calvary. I behold with joy, and I am deeply moved, O soul entrusted to my care by Jesus, how Jesus treats you. Do you think that I would be as happy if I did not see you so thrashed? I, who in holy charity desire greatly your advantage, delight to see you ever more in such a state. Jesus permits these assaults of the devil because his divine pity endears you to himself and he wants to make you like unto himself in the anguish of the desert, of the garden, and of the cross. Defend yourself, always distance yourself from, and despise the malign insinuations of the devils. And where your strength does not arrive, do not be afflicted, beloved of my heart, for I am near to you. Once again, Padre Pio concludes, what holy condescension, what have I ever done to merit such exquisite affection from my dear angel? In fact, I do not worry myself about this at all. Is it not our Lord the Master who can give his graces to whom and however he wishes? That's a bit of a hard truth, friends, isn't it? And maybe a good one for us to think about here in the holy season of Lent. The Lord wants to conform us to himself. Suffering has value for us because it brings us closer into the merciful heart of our Savior. It's not just something to be avoided. Yes, we want what's good for, especially for those who are close to us and dear to us. We want them to be free from sickness and we want them to be free from danger. But sometimes in God's beautiful and mysterious providence, he can use even those material evils for our salvation. And the angel guardians know this and they cooperate in God's providential unfolding of this mysterious and beautiful plan. So take courage, take courage. Isn't that what those children of Fatima learned from the angel of Portugal? Courage. We need courage in this life, in this struggle. Okay, so let's conclude with some applications to uh, 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 your own devotional life, my devotional life. What do we do with this beautiful uh, creature of God, this angel that God has assigned to us? How can we facilitate this relationship? How can we cultivate this relationship, this friendship? First, we can do our best to remain in the state of grace. This is so important in the Christian life, to remain in the state of grace. The postmodern world has forgotten the reality of sin, has forgotten the reality of our fallen nature. When a child is born of its mother and the angel is assigned to it, the angel's first task is to bring it to the saving font of baptism, where it becomes renewed, born again in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's true for all of us who have uh, been baptized. We are reborn, new creatures, 
And when we commit a mortal sin, we lose that divine friendship. We lose the state of grace. And our angel has a much harder time speaking to our interior faculties, helping us. So the best thing we can do is to stay in the state of grace. When we have fallen, God forbid, into sin, we must get to confession. And of course, in the holy season of Lent, this is a great time to renew our contrition and make a good confession. But for, for all of us faithful Catholics, going frequently to confession is a really important thing. It's a good thing. Even if we're not conscious of grave sin, it's such an avenue, a powerful avenue, channel of grace. So staying in the state of grace, and when we lose the state of grace to return to it through the sacrament of confession, that's very, very important. Second, we can be more consciously aware of our angel's role in helping us to pray, helping us as we pray. Uh, the ancient fathers, uh, Origen and others, St. Hilary, they talk about how when we pray, because our prayers are also material things, uh, products of our intellect and will, sometimes even the words we speak, uh, the, the angel takes these and perfects them and presents them before the throne of grace, before the throne of God. They mediate between heaven and earth for us. So they take our prayers to heaven. They bring down from heaven grace from God. This all passes through their hands, as it were. And of course, through the, through the mediation of Our Lady, who was the mediatrix, mediatrix of all grace. But the angel is with us as we pray. He prays with us. He prays through us and for us as we are uh, returning our minds and our hearts, lifting our minds and hearts to God. And the more that we are conscious of that, the more I think that our prayer is strengthened by that. Remembering that when you're at Holy Mass, your angel is there with you, adoring the Lord on the altar, praying with the people of God there in the pews. There's one of our confreres, when he preaches, um, we who know him see him doing this. He looks around the congregation before he begins his sermon. He's looking at each person. He's praying to their guardian angel. The, the angels of all of those people who are there in the church, in the congregation, and his own guardian angel to open their minds and hearts to receive the inspiration that he's about to impart. Third, we can pray to our angel. They, they want us to ask for their help. They want to be with us in this life here below. They, we can pray to them. We can, fourth, we can send our angel ahead of us. We can send our angel to other people, to other places. You know, let's say that you have, um, you know, maybe you have children out there and maybe you need to have a, make a diff difficult correction of one of your children or you need to have a difficult conversation with one of your children or your spouse and you know it's going to be difficult. Why not send your angel ahead to prepare the way to open that person's mind and heart uh, to ask their angel to do the same. Use these angelic spirits to our benefit because they're just waiting for us to ask. Or maybe you have a life in the business world or at work, wherever you work, and you need to have a difficult conversation or an important conversation in a conference room or in a trade show or with your boss or with one of, your, uh, with one of the people who works for you. Uh, 
Our angels want to be involved in all of these things. In short, we can invite them into the most ordinary details of our lives. They're already there anyway. So how about some time for questions for just a few minutes? Uh, many have, many have uh, written in and uh, I don't even, Casey's here helping me. How many people do we have with us today, Casey? Gosh, 600 and 675 people. Uh, thank you for joining us and thank you for your questions. I'm sorry if I can't answer them all. Uh, very many people ask about the name of the angels. Uh, do we, can we know our guardian angel's name? Should we give it a name? Uh, what about names? So in biblical life, uh, we biblical Christians, we, we people of the book, we people of the word of God, we learn, especially in the Old Testament, that when you know someone's name, you have a certain mastery over them. So uh, it was audacious for Moses to ask God for his name there at the burning bush. <clears throat> when the messengers of God would appear to uh, God's chosen people, everyone was a little bit anxious about, well, I'm not supposed to know who that is. Names are important. We only have a very small number of names of angels revealed to us in the sacred scriptures, Gabriel, Michael, Raphael. It would be very um, impertinent and a little bit beyond our reach to presume to know the name of an angel. Each angel not just guardian angels, but all of the angelic order, all nine choirs of angels, each one of these creatures is a species unto itself. And the name of that angel, that angelic creature, gives its identity, reveals its nature. It's not for us to know. So it's a, it's a very... Uh, dangerous idea to try to ask the name of the angels. Now, that some people uh, will give a kind of a tag name, a nickname to their guardian angel to facilitate their prayer. I suppose that's okay, as long as we realize that that is in no way the real name of the angel. You know, we don't even know each other's real names. There's that beautiful mysterious passage from the book of Revelation toward the end of the book of Revelation that when we, please God, enter into the glory of heaven, clad in white, washed in the blood of the lamb, entering into the heavenly liturgy, God is going to give us a little white stone, the book of Revelation says, and on that stone is going to be your real name, your true name, that no one else will know. If that's true for you and for me, how much more so for the holy angels? So it's not good for us to inquire into their names. We do know the names of a few angels, St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael. These are archangels, and we can pray to them by name. Let's not be presumptuous in uh, 
inquiring into the names of our guardian angels. And uh, if God should desire to reveal that to us, then in heaven, we're going to know that. And that's going to be so sweet, so sweet. Um, the other dangerous thing about names in the angelic order is that there are creatures out there who will answer. Uh, the fallen angels are happy to come running into an opening that we leave in the spiritual order. This is why we don't dapple in spiritual things, uh, the occult, um, the new age, um, th these sort of Gnostic ideas about the spirits of the air out there and so forth, astral projection, all of these kind of very dangerous things because there are dangerous fallen angels out there who will come and be more involved in your life than you want them to be if you use the name of one of them. So, so um, names are not, uh, we shouldn't presume in that area. Um, do I only have one guardian angel, just one guardian angel? Each soul upon birth receives a guardian angel. There's a pious, um, pious theological uh, uh, kind of speculation that when we're given a new um, position in the church, um, so when a priest is ordained, he's assigned another angel because his ministry and uh, his priestly office requires a new kind of guardianship. Um, we do know that countries have angels. We learned that from um, also from the scriptures, but also uh, these beautiful apparitions like the fat and the children. So our country has an angel. Uh, we should pray to it. Um, our world is a mess. Our country is kind of a disaster. And so we can pray to the angel of this great land also. Is my angel with me at my judgment? <laughs> the... Um, that's a beautiful question. You know, there, this is all by way of just speculation, theological speculation. You might know um, St. John Henry Newman, the beautiful, recent, relatively recently canonized saint of the oratory. So oratorian father from the late 1900s, tremendous theologian and uh, a beautiful, beautiful saint from England in Birmingham in England, where he founded the oratory of St. Philip Neri there. Uh, St. John Henry Newman has a beautiful poem called The Dream of Gerontius. I highly recommend that poem. It's all about a uh, beautiful kind of epic poem about the death of this man named Gerontius and his guardian angel taking him to his judgment, taking him before the throne of God for his judgment. And then Gerontius needed to spend some time in purgatory. So his guardian angel delivers him then after his judgment to purgatory and very beautifully says, um, fear not, I will be back after your time of purgation has passed. So read the dream of Gerontius and uh, the great composer, English composer, Edward Elgar composed a magnificent oratorio to this, I highly recommend it. He composed that in 1900. So the dream of Gerontius, the answer to the question, that's a long answer to a short question. Yes, your guardian angel will take you to your judgment after your death and then deliver you, uh, please God, into heaven where the angels will all rejoice or to purgatory where we'll, where we'll need to do some purgation and um, that may the thought not even enter into our minds about that other option that much less pleasant option. So friends, we've been together for 
a good long time. Any last minute questions? You know, I think that there are many, many more questions that we could have. Uh, so Casey is suggesting maybe we'll have angels part two, webinar part two to uh, deal with questions and so forth in case uh, this wasn't enough and that there's more to talk about. Of course, there's lots more to talk about. So I hope this has been inspiring for you, my friends. And um, just before we close with a prayer, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, this webinar is recorded. We'll share with you the recording so that you can share it along too. Please do. Please share the good things that you come to know of St. Michael's Abbey and at the Abbott Circle. Please share that with your friends. We crave your support and your uh, friendship. We uh, are all in this together. The world is a real mess right now. <laughs> and the only solution to the problems of the world is a spiritual one. That's really true, that the only, the only thing that we can bring to the table is the best answer, which is Jesus Christ. And so please join us. There are a lot of people here at the Abbey uh, who come up in person, a lot of people who are joining us online, our digital content on theabbotcircle.com. We have 35 seminarians here. We're hoping to form them into priests for you. We already have seven more young men going to join us in August, and we have many more who want to join us, more than we have rooms for, even in this beautiful brand new monastery. So we're grateful for your support. And uh, you're in our prayers every day, and we depend upon yours as well. So let's close with a prayer. First, with the angel of God prayer, which we began with, we'll pray that in Latin, and then we'll pray again to the mother of God. Angele Dei, qui custos esmei, me tibi comissum pietate superna, illumina custodi, rege et guberna. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of the Angels, pray for us. Our Holy Fathers, Norbert and Augustine, pray for us. All you holy angels of God, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, friends. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Abbott Circle Podcast. If you enjoyed listening or were spiritually nourished, please leave a review to help our podcast grow. Thanks again. God bless you.